Our text this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, uh, verses 22 through 30. Uh, Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that He bless the reading and preaching of His Word. Our Father and our God, we come before You again this morning uh, to beseech Your mercies and Your blessing to us. We ask that You would give us this morning the same spirit that You gave the evangelist Luke, We ask, dear Lord, that these infallible words for our instruction and good, that we might know our Savior Jesus Christ, will not be taken from us uh, by cold hearts, nor would it be uh, withered by trial and tribulation, or choked out by the cares of this world. But we ask, dear Lord, that your word would produce within us fruit a hundredfold to the glory of Christ, that we would bear the fruit of repentance from sin, faith and trust in our Savior Jesus Christ, and obedience to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here now the reading of God's Holy Word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 13, verses 22 through 30. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And then one said unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut the door, and ye begin to stand without and to knock on the, at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. Then shall ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west and from the north and from the south and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. It is a curious question uh, that the man asks, and perhaps in response to uh, the parables that have gone before, the mustard seed and uh, the leaven that speak of the small beginnings, but the great destiny of the kingdom of heaven, but also the fact that throughout the history of the church, uh, there has always been the promise that a remnant will be saved. And when we look in the sacred history, we can always count more, at least uh, those taken note of, uh, that were worthy of judgment than those that were faithful to the calling that they had received from the Lord. And Jesus, with this question, also redirects, because the concern for us is not how many will be saved or not. Uh, The concern for us is not what the population of hell will be in consideration of the population of heaven. Those are secrets known only to the Lord at this time. The question that matters is, will you be one 
that enters into the kingdom of heaven? Or will I be one that enters into the kingdom of heaven? Because as we see in this passage, what is clearly taught, and you don't even need a preacher to tell you this, is that not all who seek entry into the kingdom of heaven will in fact enter. In verse 24, his answer. He sidesteps the question altogether. And he says, strive to enter at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. Now, whether those that are saved be many or few, and whether those that be damned be many or few, what Jesus tells this man is that there will be many that seek to enter that think they have a place in the kingdom of heaven that, in fact, do not have it. And the reason is, is that they will seek to enter not by the straight gate, nor will they seek striving to enter in, but they will seek entry without the striving. That is the distinction that is given there in verse 24. And we see the way they do so in the illustration of uh, the door that was open for a while, but then is closed in due time. And all those on the outside, no matter what they think, they, where they think they belong, are refused entry. Verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen up and has shut to the door, and ye began to stand without and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know not whence you are. Then shall ye begin to say at that time, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence. And thou hast taught in our streets. Notice that the argument that they will give are those external privileges of the kingdom of God here on earth. Those those privileges that belong to the covenant of grace, but are simply the markers and the outward form of them. That they were in the presence of the Lord when he was eating and drinking, and they too were eating and drinking. Jesus came and he ate and drank. He ate and drank with sinners, not condoning their sin, but calling them from it. But he also ate and drank with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And yet they were his bitter and constant enemies. There will be those that say, if we go back to Mark, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, 20, uh, chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, uh, those that said, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not work mighty works in your name and cast out devils in your name or heal in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. He will be like those in the days of Jeremiah the prophet or Isaiah the prophet when Babylon was breathing hard upon the neck of the tiny little kingdom. And they said, we have the temple and we will be safe. Even all the while where they were sacrificing to the abominations in the, uh, the, the Kithrid Valley and uh, in their high places and in their secret hearts oppressing the poor, not seeking the righteousness of God. We have the temple. 
God can't forsake us. There will be many in the final day that will say, did we not not only eat and drink with you, Lord? Did we not eat of your bread, body, and drink that cup of your blood? And did we not sit before and hear your teaching to us in the gospel? And he will say, I tell you, I know not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. See, the judgment against them is that they're workers of iniquity because they are seeking the reward of holiness. The, 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 in both places, in Matthew and Luke, it's uh, you workers of iniquity. They're not condemned because uh, of some sort of decision in heaven. They're condemned because they followed their own sin and not the Lord. They demand the reward of the holiness that they refuse. Jesus comes preaching, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And they would not repent. They refused the holiness. And it is just and right that they are excluded from what they wanted no part of anyway. It is the narrow gate by which the people of God enter into heaven. Now, this is not to deny that the, the gate isn't open to us by grace. The entry into the grace God isn't by grace. There's no way that we could of ourselves turn from that sinful bondage that uh, entraps us. But it is a grace to us that calls us in a very particular way to repentance. And it's narrow, and therefore we have to strive to enter into it. The Greek word strive there is, is, is our word where we get the word agony. And it's the picture of, of, of that athletic, uh, strenuous exercise. It's not fun in the moment, but we, we do it and endure it. Our athletes endure it, because I'm not an athlete. Uh, but buffet the body for the prize, for the good that comes of it. And any sort of thing that we love and want to get good at, we, we suffer certain sort of discipline in order that we can master it. Part of the reason why we have such incompetence all throughout our society today is that the whole notion of suffering at all, are doing hard things, are being denied in failure, has made us incompetent even at things that we should you should strive to master. It is a gate of grace that nevertheless requires self-denial and cross-bearing in uh, Luke chapter 9. And Jesus says in, in verse 22, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, be slain and be raised the third day. He enters into his joy through suffering and cross-bearing. 
And so it is right and good for him to say in verse 23, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. What is the advantage if he gets into the whole world and loses himself and be cast away? Whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and the holy angels. But I tell you of a truth, there are some standing here which shall not taste death uh, till you see the kingdom of God. That judgment that will be brought. But it is a gate of self-denial and cross-bearing. And it is a gate that's part of self-denial is repentance. Uh, faith and repentance, two sides of one cord. We don't turn to God without turning from the world and Satan. And self-denial is recognizing that because of the corruption of our own heart, we can't trust ourselves. We have to trust the Lord. That holiness is required. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. It's not holiness. We have to become holy in order to be saved. But we're saved because without that holiness, we have to be saved from our sins so that we might become holy and see the Lord. Flesh and blood shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven, but I show you a mystery that we shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. The flesh and blood, the corruption and mortality shall put on incorruptible and immortal spiritual body. It is a gate that requires us to change, to repent and struggle against sin. And Christ won't be fooled in this. Look at verse 27 again. I tell you, I know, not, I know you not which you are. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. In the judgment, he does this. He says, he disavows them. They claim to know him, but he says, I've never known you. He dismisses them from his presence forever. Depart from me. And he declares or uh, uh, displays their, their true, he discloses their true nature, that they are workers of iniquity. These are the hypocrites. I mean, ultimately, we're still speaking of hypocrisy because we're speaking of those within the visible church and people of God. And then we see the miseries of those that are disavowed in verse 28 and 29. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves cast out. And they shall come from east and from the west and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. They are, in verse 28, they will know the blessedness that they themselves missed out on. That's part of the, where the worm never dies and the flame is never quenched. That's part of the eternal misery of hell. Jesus tells us more about hell than any other prophet or apostle in Scripture. When those that try to make hell something alien to the gospel, understand most of what we know about hell comes from the mouth of Jesus Christ. And just like Dives the rich man uh, sees Lazarus in the bosom of Abraham and that great gulf between them, the the view of the blessedness of the blessed will be part of their misery. And if you have not closed with Jesus Christ, if you have not 
repented of sin and are growing in holiness, then at that last day, part of your misery will be to see what you could have had if you had only humbled yourself with Christ. In Psalm 12 that we read together, the first nine verses speak of the blessedness of the righteous man. But verse 10, the last one, is a warning to everyone else. Don't miss out on this blessedness because part of the the misery of the wicked will be their view of the blessedness of the righteous. And then verse 29, they'll also be provoked not only by the, the saints that they know to be saints, but also by all those that seem to be undeserving from the north, east, south, and west, of these, these foreigners to the kingdom of God, particularly at that time when it was nationally defined, these Gentiles will be entering in when they themselves have cast out. They thought to have Abraham as their father, and now Abraham is, is eating with strangers. Remember what John the Baptist warned of those that came to him in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. He says, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. But he didn't need to. He just called them for the four corners of the world. And now also the axe is laid into the root of the tree. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Moses, as the people of God are prepared to enter into the promised land, had warned them long ago what their iniquity would bring. The Lord, speaking through Moses, says, They have moved me to jealousy with that which is not God, and have provoked me to anger with their vanities, and I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger. With a foolish nation. And that's not just something that happens in history. It's something that happens in eternity. That this condition, this provocation, we might provoke God for a season. But understand, if we are not reconciled to Him, He's going to provoke us for all eternity. And this is exactly what happens to the Jews. They were the first, which shall be last. They were those that were closest to the covenant of grace. And yet they missed it because they would not be humbled. There are the last which shall be first, and there are the first that shall be last. He doesn't say all the last, all the first shall be last. He doesn't say all the last shall be first. There are Jews that came into the kingdom of heaven. The church for its first two generations was predominantly still Jewish. And there are heathen that never come into the kingdom of heaven. But there are those that ought to have been first that will be last. And there are those that we had expected to be last that shall be first because they humbled themselves. And did not think upon their own righteousness or their own name as something to be, to be protected. 
but surrendered themselves unto the Lord as their chief good and hope. And when we hear these things, when we hear, when we hear particularly verse 26, that those who are cast out begin to say, we have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. Or if we look at Matthew 7, 22, when the people say, we have even preached in thy name, and yet they're cast out as workers of iniquity. It's a call to examine ourselves. And the warnings to the Jews are warnings to you, the church, because we have been raised up in the same covenant community. It's no longer uh, uh, just simply the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We are now the church Catholic, that is, Jew and Gentile. And when we have these privileges described, and we recognize that we partake of them, because what people more eat and drink with Christ Jesus and sit and hear him speak than those that are in the Christian church. So then we see these privileges and we see that some might take uh, a lazy, negligent view of them, take them for granted. And so we hear these words and we need to let these privileges then spur us, spur you and me to strive after the kingdom of heaven. To not take these blessings for granted but dig down deep in them to take the word to heart. Because an easy, unexamined conscience, confidence, will be your ruin. It's not that the Lord fails of his promises. It's not that the gospel isn't free. But because of our sinful nature, we are real quick to lay hold on what God is not offering to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He gives us liberty and deliverance from the bondage of sin in him. What he doesn't give us is a get out of jail free card that we can go and sin all we want to with no sense of consequences. God doesn't deliver us from the consequences of our sin in order that we might be twice the children of hell. He calls us that we might be holy even as he is holy. And so the question is, will you enter by the straight gate? When you hear the word of God, do you do it? Remember when the lady uh, voiced her praise to the mother that brought Jesus into the world, uh, and rightly so. And Jesus says, Yea, rather though, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Or in chapter 6, 46. These are terrible. Jesus says, Why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whoever cometh to me and heareth my saying and doeth them, I will show you who he is like. He is like a man which built a house and dug deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose and the streams beat vehemently upon that house and 
could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. But he that hears and does not is like a man without a foundation, built upon the earth, against which the streams did beat vehemently, and immediately fell, and the ruin of that house was great. You have one sure foundation. That one sure foundation is Christ Jesus. As he is offered to you in the gospel. He offers himself not to those who consider themselves righteous. He offers himself to those who know they are sinners. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And that man went away justified. The question is not how many will be saved or how few. Many will come from the north and from the south and from the east and from the west. The question is, will you strive to enter by the straight gate, which is Christ Jesus? Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we ask that you would be merciful unto us. We pray, dear Lord, that you would provoke us, that we would not take for granted your word, that we would not hear that grace that cost Jesus so much as if it were an easy thing to pick up and to sit down, but that we would ourselves strive to enter in in the way that Christ led us through your cross. Give us, dear Lord, and honesty about ourselves, and humility. That we will not stand upon any pretended worth except the true worth of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Please stand for the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. As people said...